So I was not here for most of the morning. Any of the morning? When you guys have talked about joy, has there been a breakdown between the idea of joy and happiness? A little. A little. And a yes and a no. So we're going to go a little. Right. It was like half a slide of it. What was on that slide? Uh, it had joy, happiness, or joy, sorry, pleasure, happiness, joy, and then like. Okay, perfect. All right, so um, a lot of times in, in my practice, with all of us therapists, there's um, there's 16 of us, but a lot of times what we hear is, I want to be happy again, right? So people are saying, hey, I just want to be happy. And my question always is, well, what is happiness? Like, how do you know you're going to be happy? Right? I had a really great cup of coffee this morning, and for that 30 minutes that I was drinking it, I was happy. And then I got to my office, and I saw my inbox, and I was not happy anymore. <laughs> Because happiness is just a momentary thing in our lives. The way we view society, the way we view, the way society views happiness, though, is that we should always be striving for happiness, right? If you go back to U.S. history, the Constitution pretty much got it right with that one phrase: "In the pursuit of happiness." Happiness is only a pursuit. It comes from the root of, or happiness is from the root of the word happenstance, which means momentary. Right? Happiness is a mile wide and an inch deep. It comes and it goes, and the minute pain or suffering enter into our lives, happiness disappears. We cannot be happy in the midst of our pain and suffering. What we can be is joyful. Joyful is an inch wide and a mile deep. Because joy comes from, not only from within us, but it's also provided to us as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, that's the basic difference. There are, there are many things where we can look at um, in life. When I get home today, my dog is going to be really happy to see me because he gets out of his crate. I'll be really annoyed when I see him because he'll be whining. But there's a lot of joy there in having that dog when I get home, right? My pit bull is a 90 pound chihuahua. Um, but he brings a lot of joy to my life when he's not chewing stuff up. So that joy is always consistent. Happiness comes and goes with him, depending on what he's chewing up in my house. But the joy of having him is always there. Right? So the other thing is that joy is often a choice for us. We have to choose to have joy. Right? It's not as big as happiness. And, and happiness is not an expression. That's good work. Happiness is not an expression of joy. We can have joy and be happy. But joy is not like extreme happiness or extreme pleasure all the time. They're, they're, they get kind of tossed together, but they are two separate things, right? This is just a pursuit for things. Joy is a choice. So when people come in and they say, hey, I want to figure out how to be more happy, I'm like, well, why don't you want to be more joyful? Like, wouldn't that be better? And everybody's like, no, no, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> and it doesn't work because joy does not have the same set of emotions that happiness does. When we think about happiness, uh, we think about all the good things that come from it. Later on tonight, I'm going to go celebrate um, a birthday with some friends, and I'm going to be happy to see everybody, and while I'm there, it'll be a happy experience, and I'm going to go home. That happiness is going to fade away, but I'll still have joy, because I'll have friends, have family that I'll be with, and I know that even though that moment has passed, I'll still have other opportunities in the future to spend with them, and that brings me joy, gives me joy, right? 
That's just the basic concept of the two. Any questions so far? Yep. Uh, you said that joy is a choice, mm -hmm. and then you also mentioned these external things like friends and family that bring you joy. So yes. How do you like, put those together? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, when I'm in when I'm in the moment, right? This is, this is happiness is moment there. When I'm in the moment, I'm just happy that they're there, right? But when I'm not with them, they exist, right? That relationship with those friends, with those family members, with my dog, it exists and it's always within me. Right? So that's the separation. I can experience happiness with any of them, but I have joy in knowing that they're always there. Right? When uh, when this is done, I'm going to run over and hope they have confession at 3 o'clock because there was a wedding going on and sometimes they cancel it, right? When I go to confession, there's a certain joy in knowing that my sins are forgiven and I can start moving on with my life closer to God again, right? It's internal. There's happiness in like, yeah, my sins are forgiven, but there's joy, the choice to actually go after the sacraments and follow them is internal and believe in what God does. So everything internal is joy. Everything external is happiness. Can answer your question? Kind of sort of? Yes, thank you. Okay. So the U.S. population makes up 5% of the world. 5%. And we consume 80% of the world's opioids. I'm a little biased as a therapist, so when I say this, medication is great. Medication helps us get to a baseline. If you were hearing my talk last year, you heard this. You get to a baseline, and from the baseline, we can figure things out and work our way back up and hopefully lower down the medication we're taking at the time. That's the entire idea of medication. Medication plus therapy equals eventual sorting out of things, right? Kind of the way the world works now, the way insurance companies definitely work now, is we're just going to medicate everything in the hopes of making people happy. That doesn't bring about joy. So, to that end, we have our idols and our algorithms. So, Timothy Keller is a Reformed Presbyterian minister up in Philadelphia, I think. He's a really great speaker. Um, and he defines idols as anything that is in my life that is more important than God. Anything in my life that is more important than God. And as I say that, I think I have a lot of idols. Yeah, I'm a big Alabama fan. Yeah. Yeah. All time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a UGA student. So I guess I'm How's that working? We didn't know that everyone had invited you back. <laughs> Which one, the UGA or the Bama? Okay. Or Dan. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But on Saturdays, right now, Alabama's playing Arkansas. I'm not getting to watch it because I'm here. But I choose joy over happiness sometimes. Because I'm sure. <laughs> but anything we put in front of God, put in front of our relationship with God, becomes an idol for us. 
This can be relationships. This can be football. This can be social media. This can be certain friendships. This can be the idea of wanting to be in a relationship, right? I experience this one a lot where people are so focused on being in a relationship that they put it above everything else. I can't be alone. Because if I'm alone, happiness does not exist. But joy can. Joy can exist. So anything we put in front of God is what we call an idol. And I really like this definition because oftentimes in my younger years when I was reading the Old Testament and they were like worshiping the golden calf, I'm like, why? It's just a calf. Well, that you made. It's not that important. It can come from anywhere. Right? It's just something you put in place of God. Right? Something to give them momentary happiness, and we're trying to figure out what the joy is. I throw algorithms onto this because when we get to the cultivation part, I'm going to say something everybody's going to hate. It probably already knows to one level or, or another, but it's going to be that you've got to limit your social media. Right? The algorithms today are designed to keep us in bubbles that they know we are going to keep on circling around it. We're not going to be able to escape them. And when that happens, we get stuck in the comparison game. You know, I don't have a street of football team in Bama. <laughs> or UGA, the real one. I don't have a relationship like other people do. I don't have a boat. I don't have a doll. I have a cat instead, and I feel bad about that. <laughs> I have a cat too, so don't worry. They're, they're both really good. Um, so we have to expose what our idols are. And a lot of this takes a lot of good self-reflection. Because all idols do, and all these algorithms do on social media, is they steal from us. Right? Comparison is the thief of joy. Anytime I'm comparing myself and what I have to what other people have, I'm starting to lose the joy that's within because I'm focused on what's outside, what I'm trying to get after. These two things right here, Combine them into one if you really wanted to, are probably where our mental health takes the largest hit for not understanding how to cultivate joy within ourselves. Because when we're always comparing, it starts to eat away at our ego. I mean ego in a good way, not the forty one. Uh, it starts to deplete the strength we have to say, no, no, I'm okay in this moment, and I know I can move forward. Right? Because we're comparing and it just starts sucking away from us. And when we do this, it leads to depression, it leads to anxiety, and those are two sides of the same coin, but in all honesty, that's probably what we see the most coming into our offices um, since we started taking some form of depression or anxiety, right? So with this idea, um, I really wanted to focus a lot on just like cultivating joy. Because all these things are really great to understand, but um, if you don't know how to fix it, then what's going to be the point of all this talking, right? Right. All right, so I want to, if you get nothing else out of today, it's not my word, it's going to be God's word. Philippians 1 through 8. This is where Paul and Timothy are in prison and writing all the letters they wrote. So when we try to cultivate joy, we have to think of things that are within us and not external to us. So in Philippians, you get five elements of joy. 
got four of them, so hang on. <laughs> All right. Connection. Participation. Anybody know number three? You would think I would have written this down. You would think I would have written this down. <laughs> Intercession. Acceptance. So I'm not going to read you the reading because that would just make too much sense. Um, but what we are going to talk about is why these things are important for, for kind of fomenting joy and building it up in ourselves, right? So this is a time when Timothy and Paul were in prison. Um, this is also a good time to think about Maximilian Kolbe, who spent you know, the last years of his life in a Nazi prison camp. So in these times, these guys were joyful. Joyful in the midst of something. Right? Joy includes celebration and suffering. But you can't have you can have celebration with happiness, but you can't have suffering with happiness because the happiness will disappear. Right? Happiness is, is much more than just a uh, temporary thing. Father Branson and I are really good friends, there's a lot of happiness in, in getting a hug from him and seeing him, right? But there's greater joy in knowing that he is a friend of mine and I'm going to see him in a couple weeks again, right? Two different things. So, the first one, both way joy, is affection. Affection for others, right? The number one thing, um, it's not really the number one thing, it's, um, oh hey, I remember it. It's anticipation. Because you were all anticipating what I was going to say next. <laughs> and it reminded me. So the first time we see that something is bad in the, in the, God, in the Bible is uh, when our Lord says, looks at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. It's the very first time we ever see the Lord say something is not good. And it's not good because we are meant to be in connection. Right? We're meant to be in connection with people. And so this leads to the first two points of Affection and participation, right? There are things in life that we have affection for, and we need to know what those are, right? Friends, family, this group, this parish. There are different things that we have affection towards, and it's always good on a daily basis to remind ourselves what we are thankful for, right? What we have affection for. When we get a little further down the road, we're going to talk about this in a little more detail. And then participation. Right? When, when Paul is writing this letter, he's saying, I'm so grateful that all of us are participating in this church, the church of Jesus Christ, right? Because it gives him a sense of connection with other people and a sense of relationship. Then there's intercession. Intercession is important because also in this reading, he says, I'm going to pray for all of you in hopes that you are also praying for me. One thing about joy, and one thing about the cultivation of joy, is that it is very selfless. 
and joy takes a certain amount of go ahead and say it takes a certain amount of maturity to cultivate joy. Right? My 11 year old called me on the way down here today and she was crying and she's very upset because her mother was being very mean to her because my 11 year old was bored. And she kept on going to her mother. Hey, I'm bored. Do something more. I'm bored. I'm bored. <laughs> and finally, she got yelled at because it was one too many times of saying, hey, make me feel good. Um, it's really not an intercession thing there, right? Because she's asking her mom and not God. Uh, so a different type of intercession. But what she was doing was, was not being selfless. She was just focusing on self. I need this. And she wasn't considering her sisters, her brothers, anybody else. She was saying, hey, I need something, and I need you to do it, and I want happiness. That's what she was thinking I was happiness. Right? If after our conversation, honestly, she didn't really take what I said to heart. She was like, Dad, you're done. Like, I'm not listening to you anymore. But let's just pretend for a minute that my 11-year-old listens to me most of the time. <laughs> she would understand when I said, are you considering what else is going on in the house? Are you considering that your 10-year-old sister is sick? And she's probably being a drain on mommy right now, right? That your soon-to-be 14-year-old sister is soon to be 14, and drama is like a daily occurrence in life, and that's probably being a drain on your mom right now. And she's like, well, no. She's like, I just know that like mommy yelled at me. I'm like, well, I know that your mommy has yelled at everybody in the house this morning, so don't worry about it. It's not about you, right? You have to look at the broader You can look at things in a more self way. You can understand why we don't really need to worry about what's happening in the we can see the broader image. So we find affection for things and for people. We participate in social activities. We pray for ourselves and for others, right? This is the selfless part. When we start praying for other people, there's a certain joy that comes from that, knowing that we're taking what we can do and offer it to others. Then there's acceptance, and acceptance is probably the, the hardest one for me to deal with um, on a personal level, and the hardest one to kind of get other people to do as well, but that is to accept where we're at. Padre right. Pio has a great prayer that I'm going to butcher, but it goes basically along the lines of, God, for my past bring mercy, in my present show me love, and in the future, your providence. Right. We can only be in the moment we're in. We think too much about the past, we think too much about the future. It's depression and anxiety that we come up with. Anxiety is a thing in our minds that keeps us looping. It keeps us thinking about things and possibilities and there's, there's really no way to get out of that. And so it keeps us out of our bodies. When we're out of our bodies, we don't really understand what we're feeling. Um, if you guys are having an argument with a significant other or a family member, one thing you should really ask yourselves is, how old do I feel in this moment? Because if you can pull back and say, how old do I feel right now when I'm arguing with my brother, my sister, my significant other, you might be surprised that you don't feel as old as you actually are. You probably feel a lot younger. Oftentimes, arguments we have are not with the person we're having an argument with, so to speak, but it reminds us of an argument in our past, and that's really where it's at. There are other therapists in here. 
There are other therapists that will very much disagree with me when I say that. So we have to, we have to accept where we are. And then we have to have anticipation, right? I'm gonna to go to that party tonight, I'm anticipated, it's gonna make me happy when I get there, people are gonna leave, and then uh, the happiness is gonna go away. But I know those relationships still exist, so I will anticipate joy in my future. Questions so far? I'm going to ask you some questions and with this because there's a lot of information. How do you distinguish between, you mentioned that looking at the past is like, uh, can be unhealthy mm -hmm. right? and, 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 and anxious. Yep. How do you, how do you distinguish between avoiding anxiety by looking at the past and healthy self-reflection, you know, at, at learning from what you've done to not do it again. Maybe you did something, you regret it, and it brings you anxiety, but you still want to look at it, but you don't want to run around in circles uh, yes. anxiously either. Yes, so there always has to be, should be a purpose. Okay. I also said should, which is not very important to say as a therapist. <laughs> I'm really just messing this one up. Um, whenever we're worried about things, start to worry about things, we we tend to get stuck in these loops, right? Forward thinking, past thinking, one way or the other. If we're going to look back on things we've done, we can figure out why are we doing it. Is it because we want to take it and, like you said, learn from it and become better? Because that's a noble effort. Or is it because we want to shame ourselves? Because people do it for two different reasons, right? Sometimes we look back and we, um, we're like, I was an idiot the way I asked that girl out, and I'm never gonna, never gonna relive that. And so you get stuck, right? Your brain's job on a day-to-day -day basis is only to keep you safe. That's its entire purpose in life. Um, if you are sitting there binging Netflix and you're like, oh, I need to go fold the laundry, it's in the dryer, because nobody ever pulls a laundry in the dryer. Um, your brain's going to be like, nope, don't do it. Stay here, watch Netflix, because you're safe, and in the moment, you're happy. I don't think Netflix really brings joy to anybody. But if I'm wrong, let me know, because that would be interesting. <laughs> so, when we're looking back, we need to understand the purpose of it, and if we're trying to do good with it, or keep ourselves in the shame cycle. Shame is the idea that you are not good. Guilt is the idea that something you did was bad. Crowbar separation. Can you repeat that one more time? Yes. Shame is the idea that you are bad. That you yourself are bad. Guilt is the thing you did was bad. Uh, okay, so some technical have two C's, I think it does. There is a book called The Four Agreements. Uh, do not read this book at all, please. I'm just telling you, don't read it. 
I know that I said that a bunch of you are going to order it, but it really is a waste of your time. The only good thing to come out of this book was the four agreements. Everything else is complete trash. And uh, I say that with a lot of honesty. All right, first one is be impeccable with your work. Right. Be honest in what you say, follow through on what you're going to do. That seems to be kind of common sense in life. But here's the thing I don't know how many people are in this room. We'll go with 40. All of you lie to yourselves every day. Somebody in here woke up this morning and said, I'm going to go to the gym before I head over there. <laughs> See? If you're going to be impeccable with your word with other people, why not be impeccable with your word with yourself? Why not be honest with yourself? Nobody is harder on you than you are to yourself every single day. Because everybody who laughed about saying they were gonna to go to the gym this morning that didn't go to the gym this morning, me included, um, what would you tell a friend? You're fine. You're fine. Yeah. You go tomorrow. tomorrow. You go tonight. <laughs> you may achieve that. After I retreat. What do you tell yourself when you don't go to the gym? You're lazy. <laughs> you never follow through with it. You're never gonna lose the weight you wanna lose. Because we're harder on ourselves than we need to be. There's plenty, plenty, plenty in the world that's going to be hard on us. We don't need to add ourselves to the list. So talk to yourself how you want other people to talk to you. Talk to yourself how you're going to talk to your friends. Because you need affection from yourself just as much as you need it from somebody else, if not more. Second thing is, don't take things personally. It is easier said than done. Because there's a lot to take personal. <laughs> but here's an example. When I said I was a Bama fan, there were the groans, there was the roll tide, there was the whole Auburn thing that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> and in that, I don't think any of us took it personally, right? Yeah. We all have our, all, all have our fan bases, it's fine. Um, we're all gonna, you know, find out who's the real champion at the end of the year. Uh, <laughs> so, when things happen to us, most of the time it is not because of us. When people say things and do things, it is really more of a push outward from who they are and a projection than it is about who we are. Now, this isn't to say, you know, if you're extremely mean or, or get into a fight that you don't apologize for your actions. You apologize for what's yours, right? We all have tasks and we all have to maintain our own tasks. But when people start throwing jabs that they don't need to throw or backstabbing when they don't need to do it, it's nothing about you and usually 100% about who they are as a person. So as hard as it is, don't take things personally. This goes back to number one. When you're sitting there chastising yourself because you 
kept watching Netflix and didn't fold the laundry, talking bad to yourself, don't take it personally. Because it's coming from you. Alright. Third thing is don't make assumptions. Now there's a whole phrase about assumptions, which is fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you never know what the other person is thinking. Now, I said this last year, it went over fairly well, I'll say it again this year. Um, nobody else matters. Other people's thoughts, other people's feelings really don't matter. Right? It seems a little harsh, especially when I talk about like fostering relationships and, and going out and doing volunteer work in a few minutes. Um, but when it comes to who we are and what our tasks are, our tasks are in life, other people's opinions don't matter. You know what your job is. You know what your tasks are for the day. Nobody else does. If someone's coming after you and they don't know these things, that's why you don't take it personally, A. And B, you can't make assumptions as to why things are going bad, especially when it involves interpersonal relationships. Unless you know the facts, you don't know what other people are thinking of you. And it is not your task to worry about it. Your only job is to ask, hey, why? On a side note, we don't ask why as therapists. Um, because what it does is it gives you a definitive answer, right? If I ask somebody, hey, why aren't you happy? He's gonna tell me why he's unhappy, and I have no room to maneuver. Because now it's set in stone. Well, this is why. You ask why, here's your answer. So, as much as you can, just eliminate why from your vocabulary. Ask questions like, how come? Why for? No, not why for. <laughs> how come is usually where I'm and then the fourth one is do your best. Be aware your best is going to change every day, right? Honestly, today, I'm probably at about 80%. Now, I'm doing my best in this moment, so you're getting 80% of me, right? That's a win. In our friendships, in our relationships, if you can only give 20% one day, tell the other person, hey, sleep well, I didn't go to the gym this morning, and all God is 20% to give to that. Because if you just give them that 20% and that's your 100% for the day, you're doing way better than everybody else. But you have to remember that you're not going to be at 100% every day. Nobody is. Generally speaking, nobody is. All right. So cultivate and enjoy. Um, foster relationships, we need to give gratitude. So we are social people. We, we are meant to be in community with other people, and it's a very important thing that we are. Um, and so we have to foster our relationships. Now, I'm going to go back to something I've said three times before. When we're fostering relationships, you have to foster a relationship with yourself. You have to know who you are, what your likes and dislikes are, what annoys you, what you find funny, right? You have to be okay with being yourself so that you can learn how relationships with other people are going to expand. At the end of this talk, um, 
go to the You need to be okay with yourself, and everybody else in your life should add a tip to that, and that's it. If you can be okay with who you are, know who you are, and this is not a know who I am and then forget about it. This is a know who I am and constantly, constantly reflecting on it, right? Anybody else should then be adding to your day and not taking away from it. And you'll put yourself in positions where you only want people who are going to foster relationships with you and be additive to your day. Remember, joy is a choice, and that choice has to come from within. You have to know who you are in order to come from. Second thing is gratitude. So um, one of the best things about joy that nobody really realizes is there's this thing called non-problematic joy that exists. So earlier I said like happiness is um, momentary and we, we feel it and we can see it, you know, there's smiles on the faces and everything else and that's awesome. But joy doesn't have the same emotion and oftentimes we forget that uh, joy can exist when everything is neutral. I had a client this morning who just had a root canal. Mouth hurt a lot. Um, I woke up this morning and my teeth went fine. Right. There's nothing wrong with my teeth this morning. I'm joyful about that. Because I'm taking care of my teeth. Because they're not hurting. So oftentimes when we think about joy and the way society kind of views happiness and joy as a, as a twin flame, um, we look for the positive things, right? It can exist in the neutral. Maybe it's not a great day. Maybe nothing went terribly bad. Why not find the gratitude in that and celebrate that? There's a great uh, positive psychologist, his name is Sean Achor, A-C-H-O-R. Um, he has a video on YouTube that has about 11 million views. I really encourage all of you to watch it. It's extremely funny. Um, but he is a positive psychologist, so obviously with that word positive, we're focusing on happiness and things like that. And he wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. Right? And if you know 80% of my life, right, if I was just here for the next 10 minutes and tell you everything about my life, you can only predict about 10% of my happiness. Because it's such an individual thing. But one thing he's noticed is gratitude plays an important component in not only building happiness, but in cultivating joy. So, you know any clients of mine, they always get the homework assignment that is pretty similar across the board, and that is every day or every night, I want you to write down three things that you're thankful for today. Can anybody guess what the biggest pushback on this question is? What that homework assignment is? Sometimes it is, yeah. But the biggest pushback, but no, I'm just gonna guess, could it be that it's the same thing every day? The same thing? That's part of it, but some biggest pushback. Anybody else? Everything is boring that makes me happy. Everything is boring? They don't make time for it. They don't do it. Also part of it. 
how big does it have to be? Happiness is, is kind of measured by success, right? Like, how big does it have to be? My answer is always the same. I don't care. You have a great cup of coffee in the morning, and you want to give thanks for that? That's right, too. If you didn't have traffic on the way to work, Master class, gratitude. So every day, write down three things that you are thankful for. And since we're all Catholic, this is even better. Um, pray about it. Prayer and thanksgiving is one of the things that we're supposed to do. You know, we're supposed to thank God for what we have. There are times when I'm like, hey, God, um, it was a crappy day. Sideways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm left-handed. That's the problem. Um, yeah, sometimes I'm like, you know what? It's been a crappy day, and I just made it through, and I'm happy about that. Tomorrow's another day, and I get to try. Little bits of joy. Not problematic choice because nothing bad happened. That's a win for me on most days. All right, number three is to laugh. If you haven't noticed, I tend to tell a lot of jokes. I make a lot of one-liners. Um, my entire staff hates them because I do it in our staff meetings all the time. <laughs> but I have to find joy in life. My best friend is a, uh, a judge and our jobs are similarly tough in a lot of ways, depending on what we're dealing with. So he and I, um, we meet once a week at Wings and Beer, and we tell probably the most horrible jokes, that's why I have to go to confession, um, <laughs> that you can think of, right? We enjoy dark humor because it helps lighten the load of everything that we deal with during the week. That's not true. The jokes weren't that bad. It's just, you know, I'm going to hedge my bets. And then the last one is living social media. Um, I can go on. I have a whole talk on social media that I give to parishes and teens and youth groups. Um, just set a time. It's really all it is. Uh, I don't know. All right. So I have an Android because we're superior. But I'm pretty sure Apples too have the option to like set timers for how long you can use an app during the day, right? Yeah. But you can also ignore it. Remind <laughs> 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 me in 15 minutes. Right. Oh, that's over and over. Yeah. yeah. So you think Apple's good, remember, you know, Garden of Eden. So for Android, you don't get that. You just get like, hey, your time's done for the day. Um, you have to go actually into the settings to figure it all out. There is an app called Minimalist Phone. Costs like $4.99 a month. It straight up rips your phone to only like black and white and just words and there's no icons or anything. It's a really good app to have. Um, I don't use it because I have a timer that just shuts off 30 minutes every day for each of your social media. More than enough for everybody. But what you'll notice, if you can stick to it, you're gonna find some FOMO. <laughs> a lot of it's gonna start popping up. And then you're gonna find out, hey, I got a lot of time and I don't know what to do with it. Hobbies are great if you can figure one out. I have plenty. 
<laughs> Oftentimes when I ask people, like, hey, what are your hobbies? Like, <laughs> like people go hiking, and I'm like, does everybody really go hiking that much? <laughs> Just say they go hiking because it's like the throwaway thing that everybody can do. Alright, so with my last 30 seconds, are there any questions? All right. Which one do you think makes the most difference? Cultivating joy? Mm -hmm. I really, if you if every day you look at things like you should be thankful for. It starts to change your perspective, right? It's because you get intentional, right? It and then you go into the day. So, so if you watch that Sean Amor video, what he'll tell you is if you do three gratitudes a day for 30 days, you are priming your brain to look for the positives. Right? He uses this great analogy where he says, great analogy where he says, if you go home and watch the news every night, you quickly leave that's a, that's a ratio of negative to positive in the world, when it's really not, right? They, write, they, they do the news stories in order to suck you in and make you feel bad and keep you if you want joy in your life, gratitude is the way to go. And really, three, three gratitudes a day for 30 days, you will start to notice a change. And more importantly, you'll start to notice a change in yourself where you're feeling more confident and feeling like, hey, things aren't going to be so bad and I can start to be happier. And the anxiety and depression will start to pull back a little bit. What's the name of the video again? So I don't know the name of it. Uh, I think it's The Happiness Advantage by Sean Abor. No, that was my question. How do you spell his last name? A-C-H-O-R. You'll know it. He's got like 11 million views, and it starts out with a story about a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good deal. Let's give uh, Peter a round of applause.